0: I greet you this morning with the name of Jesus, a name above every name, a name that's holy, a name that's righteous, a name that's right on. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to have the opportunity to stand here. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, I've been reading the Word like most of you, and I've been looking at the Gospels, And what I find amazed is some of the sayings of Jesus. And what I've noticed when I reread the scriptures, particularly the Gospels, as I said, that all of his sayings are not sweet little sayings. Sometimes his teachings are, are hard. And they kind of shake you and rattle you a little bit. Let me give you some examples. in Matthew, when he talks about, he says, Jesus says, love your enemies. Lord, have mercy. Do good to those that hate you. Mm, mm, mm. And pray for those that do bad things to you or who make it hard for you. Bless them that curse you. These not sweet messages? Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And then I read in John chapter 6, it says, Jesus was talking to a group of people and he says, My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And then he continues with the message. He says, if you wanna live forever, you must do the same thing. The people that was listening to him said to Jesus, "I said, this is a hard word. Who can listen to this? This is a hard word, who can listen to this? So you know what they got up and did? They got up and they left him. So this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And I just have one request, that you don't get up and leave me. (laughs) Let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you have spoken to me as Holy Spirit. That you allow me that you would speak through me. God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Bless these people today. Bless bless your word. Let it go forth. Let it bring healing, deliverance. Let it speak to to the hearts of those that are hurting, to the hearts of those that are broken, to the hearts of those that need to be delivered. Let us not leave here the same, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want you to use your imagination this morning. I want you to imagine a scene in heaven's courtroom. It is the day of judgment. Mm. And the person is standing confident before God about the outcome. They're standing before the God, the judge of heaven, the God in heaven, and he's asking them the question. He says, why should I allow you into the eternity of heaven? And the individual that's standing there before the throne proceeds with these convincing statements he says Lord because I prophesied in your name he says Lord I cast out demons and perform miracles and not only that Lord I led and I've been given generously and you know what else Lord I visit the sick and I help the homeless And just for a moment, and just keep using your imagination, just for a moment, heaven is silent, as if they're pondering the response of that individual. That individual is expecting a welcome response, and heaven speaks, and he says what the individual could not even imagine. He says, I don't know you, away from me. The sounds of those words rock that individual. He says, what? How can you just dismiss me like this? The kind deeds and acts that I've done. What could be more spiritual than me removing demons and performing miracles? So he says, no, go back, check again, check the role again. So Jesus reads these words to him, which is found in Matthew 7, chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and did mighty miracles in your name? So this is the word he will say to them. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Oh, what a sad day for that individual. It's a hard saying. It's a word that causes the shits to rock on the day of judgment. This morning, all across America, you have people listening to thousands of sermons. They're being preached to about how to live for Jesus. And then you have thousands of more who are being preached to and asking them to believe in Jesus. But this morning, I want us to ask ourselves, who exactly is Jesus talking to with those words? You have those who believe in the doctrine of Christianity and those who think they are Christians, but who've never come to the point of accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They profess Christ, but but not generally born again. They are not hostile to the teachings of Christ. They believe the doctrines. It's just that they've never committed themselves to Christ. They believe, but they're not disciples. They don't deny Christ. They just don't follow him. He's addressing those who claim to belong to him, who are zealously calling him Lord, Lord, but who who are deceiving themselves into thinking that they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven when they're not this morning, if you and I were put on trial for being a Christian, what evidence would convict us? Does the world think that we're Christians because we have the Jesus Christ symbol of the sign of the cross on the back of our car? Is it because we attend church regularly? Maybe it's because we have several Bibles or we, on our cell phone, we have a praise ringtone, you know? Perhaps it's because we have our radios in the car listening to Christian music. And some would even say, well, I teach Sunday school. And others would say that maybe I'm a deacon or elder at my church. I give regularly to the church. I'm on numerous committees. But we know none of those is God's standard. Jesus is saying to us, I want to know you and I want you to know me. So this morning I'm gonna discuss three things concerning Matthew chapter seven, verses seven, verses 21 to 23, that Jesus is looking at in our lives. Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. The first thing that I wanna talk about is the choices that we make regarding the road we walk. I want to use marriage as an example. You know, there are people that are living in a 50% marriage. They have a 50% relationship. It's not permanent. They just 50% because they, why is because they never live transparently open with each other. They won't allow the other person to see their weaknesses. In a 50% relationship, you live in two parts. Part of you is lived in public, and the other half is lived in the closet. It's a self-focused relationship. You have a relationship between two people that don't know each other. They're together, but they're not intimate. You have a man and a wife that have said, I do, but they're still trying to impress each other with their dating words. So I'm using marriage this morning as a metaphor because it speaks to the heart of the relationship that God wants with us. There are many people that say, I do to God, but they're only dating him. They're busy trying to say and do the things that impresses Jesus. But they are really never put 100% in the relationship, even though on the surface, it looks like they do. Many people will make decisions about accepting Jesus but unfortunately they continue to live and walk in carnality. So what is carnality? Carnality is a biblical word and it means living life consumed with self-satisfying fleshly desires and serving the body and starving the soul. The sad part about carnality living is that it produces death. It's done in stages. It destroys our prayer life, our relationship with Christ, our fellowship with other believers, and then our soul. Carnality is the opposite of living righteousness. The Bible says righteous living requires us every day, every day to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow after Jesus. And that's not easy. That's not an easy task at all. And we're not able to do that on our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You see God is evaluating the choices we make regarding the road we walk. A person can live in carnality and believe they are living the way they're supposed to. How can that happen? The person hasn't given Jesus complete access so they never get to know Jesus and Jesus really never gets to know them. Let me give you an example. You have a a president or a leader of a university and he says that he's training champions for Christ but he also says I'm not a spiritual leader but I'm a proud Christian but I'm not a minister so I'm not responsible for the Christian culture or my school so I don't have to live my life as a model Christian. That my friend is walking in carnality. You can't have it both ways. You can't live, the, you can't live one way and be another way. Amen. Holy living is a, charist, is a characteristic of our salvation. Okay, let's just, get, let's just make another point here. I'm going to use our pastor. How crazy would it be for Pastor Don, who's the pastor of this church, and he marries people, and he's living up, shacked up with Sister Carol. He said, I believe in marriage, but I don't think we need to be married to each other. That my friend is walking in carnality. What about a leader or elder in a church? He's very kind to the people. He's very outgoing, cares about what goes on in the church, but at home he beats his wife. God is evaluating the choices we make regarding the road we walk. It's the behaviors that flow from our heart that makes God say, I don't know you. I never knew you. Allow me to give you another example this morning. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the story is told about a man named Eli. He's a priest of the Lord. In fact, his family lineage, he was chosen to be a priest before they left Egypt. The scripture says that Eli had two sons, and these men were being trained to fulfill the calling that God had on their family. The Bible says now that the sons of Eli were the sons of Bali, they knew not the Lord. They were acting as priests, but they didn't know the Lord. Eli's sons worshiped heathen gods. Eli's sons were so wicked they performed blatant sexual acts in the temple. Their behavior was so wicked that God sent a prophet down to talk to Eli about his sons. And this is what the prophet says. The prophet says, God wants to know. He says, Eli, God wants to know, why do you honor your sons more than me? I have given you and your descendants a hope and a promise. Yet you allow your sons to fulfill their own sinful appetites. And then the prophet goes on to say, he says, Eli, this is what God says. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, I will disdain. Meaning, I don't know you. The Lord told Eli, I'm going to raise me up a faithful priest, one who would do according to the will of my heart and my mind. If our living is 50%. Then the Lord would say to us, as he said to the Church of Laodicea, he says, because you are lukewarm, I don't know you. I will spit you out of my mouth. I will say, I don't know you. Our source of power is the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. We 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 have to build ourselves up when we confess the Word. We can only have victory when we allow God to order our steps, the way we walk, the way we talk, how we live, We serve a God that wants our heart. Satan is busy. He wants us to be deceived and walk in deception. He's glad when we walk in carnality. But God is real. And he loves us and he wants us to have an abundant life in him. Amen? Amen. Point number two. God is going to assess the fruit we produce. In Mark 11, verses 12 and 14, 20, It says that Jesus became hungry and seeing at a distance, a fig tree with leaves on it, he went to see if perhaps he could find anything on it. And when he came to the tree, he found nothing but leaves. For was it not the season for figs? And he answers and he says, he says to this tree, may no one eat fruit from you again and his disciples were listening. The next morning as they passed, they were passing, they saw the fig tree withered up from the roots. Let's talk about a few facts about fig trees. Fig trees yield fruit from June to September, but it's also normal for figs to hang on a tree all year long. And when the fruit, when the new fruit grows, it grows right in the old shoots. So fig trees naturally grow fruit before the leaves open. So this tree that Jesus sees is filled with leaves. One would believe this tree is filled with fruit. The leaves on the tree is inviting one to come and enjoy a delicious piece of fruit. But its appearance is deceptive. The tree appears to be flourishing, but in reality, it's producing nothing of value, and never will. So Jesus curses the tree. Amen. He curses the appearance of, of of looking fruitful, but without the reality of fruit. You see, many people live a life of pretend. They're hypocrites. They have the idea that the outward appearance is all what matters. One thinks that if they appear righteous, guess what? They'll be righteous. One thinks if I show that I have leaves on the outside, I'll be accepted by God. You know, I've been a part of a lot of Christian circles. And many people believe and when you, you find out what they believe when you spend some time talking to them. You'll find out, you'll discover if they're real or if they're not. I was attending an event and I had the opportunity to speak with this minister. He was a wonderful speaker. He could really preach the word. But after talking with him for about 40 minutes, in the midst of the conversation, he decided to get honest. He told, he told me, he says, you know what? He said, I love chasing women. It don't matter that I'm married. Cause I, I know that, you know, God understands me. He knows my makeup. And he's a forgiving God. He's trying to convince himself that God understood his lifestyle. But see, his preaching and his living didn't line up. He thought it was all right to live a carnal life. It makes you wonder about some of the television evangelists, you know, some of the evangelists that we watch on TV They have the huge, huge mansions and they fly around the country and they look good on the outside. They look good on the outside. They all shine up. They speak really holy words. But when you get close and you find out, you see that there is somebody in there that's more of a self-serving individual. So we can't be fooled by the outward appearance People can be drawn to God with their lips and their mouth, but their hearts are far from him. God is looking for qualities that demonstrate people are being conformed to his image, his character, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit can be described as an outward appearance, an outward action that results from an inward condition of our heart. If we plan to be trees that produce fruits, then John 15, 5 is how we have to live our life. Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, he bears much fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Jesus, he will be like a branch that dries up and is gathered up and is cast into the fire and they'll burn But if we remain in him and his words remain in us, we can ask what we wish and it will be given to us. God is here for us because he deeply loves his creation. You see, we live in a world that encourages us to be fake and it provides us opportunities to pretend. For example, We talk about online, you know, the internet, online, all the things. And one of the privileges about online, using the online posting, it allows us as individuals to share our lives with people, with our family, with our friends, and with our community. And we have many forms of communicating with them. We have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, cell phones, text message, video sharing, blogging you know, various apps, you name it. It gives us an opportunity to visit with people that we haven't heard from in years. It gives us an opportunity to visit with people without really going to their house or even actually talking with them on the phone. People can tell us anything they want to tell us using any of those methods. We can pretty much post anything we choose online, and our followers will believe it. Isn't that right? For example, you can post vacation pictures on your Facebook page from two years ago and put the caption on it, just returned, had a great time. And what will people believe? That you just returned from vacation. You can even post pictures of vacation scenes and pretend that you were there. Yes it's a wonderful tool for fooling people. Technology is great. I use it, I like it, because we're living in a technology age. We need to know how to use it. It helps us in our life. It helps us in several ways. But all that media outlet, it also does something else. It provides us an opportunity to live many different lives. You have multiple personalities on social media. You can live under different names. A person can live out their life as someone else because of technology allows them to have that opportunity. You see, you can be a business person, You can be a preacher, you can be a pimp, you can be a prostitute, you can be a pedophile. You can gossip, you can meet your boo, you can meet your beau. You can live on the low, you can live on the down low. You can be a drug dealer, you can be racist, you can use all sorts of profanity, you can view all sorts of porn. You can say anything you want to say, become anyone you want to become because social media allows the platform to become that person and nobody will know. Amen? Amen. But the sad part about all of this is that the same people that live these lives of aliases, they have strong participation in the organized church. They lead small groups. They teach Bible studies and can give powerful testimonies about how important their faith is. You see, Online, you can be one person and someone else entirely different at church, at home, or with your Christian friends. Social media allows you to live a double life, and many will view it as completely harmless. But when you read the scriptures, Galatians chapter 5 it says, the scripture provides a contrast between two natures, the work of the flesh and the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the flesh produces those things such as lying, adultery, dis- de- de- jealousy, dissension, fits of anger, and all forms of unholy living. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no what? Law. As Christians, we want to bear fruit in keeping with our relationship with God. We seek to do things outwardly that, we, that can be demonstrated that we are new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Oh, yeah. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. The Bible says that flesh gives birth to flesh and spirits give birth to spirit. Those who sow in the flesh will reap corruption, but those who sow in the spirit will reap eternal life. You must be born again. That's the key to bearing good fruit. Amen. Amen. Allow me to make another observation about social media. You know, I don't care how many friends are attached to you on social media. They can never do what a loving guy can do. Social media keeps record of all of our wrong. Every lie we've told, every inappropriate picture we posted, every unkind word we've spoken, and every three or four years, it brings it back to our Remember, Remember this? Update. However, there is a difference between social media and a loving God. You see, when we repent, we have a loving God that erases the data, oh, yeah. erases the sin. We have a loving father that stretches our sin for us from the east is from the west. Hallelujah. We have a loving God that remembers our sin no more. A God that forgets about the years when we didn't produce the right fruit. He says, I'll give you a new name. Your name will no longer be pimp, prostitute, or pedophile. There's a new name going to be written down in glory. Yes. He says, I'll call you my friend. I'll call you my son. I'll call you my daughter. He says, you may go through the foul. You may go through the foul, but he says, I can deliver you without the smell of the smoke. Amen? Yes. Point number three, last point. God is going to observe what and how we're building. There is a Christian watchdog group called Trinity Foundation. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it, but this organization has been in operation for years and their ministry work is to track religious fraud. ABC News covered a particular story about this one particular evangelist who claimed that his house burned to the ground and that he and his family were destitute. He pleaded with his followers to send money to build his house. And people out of kindness of their heart and concern for his family sent him money because they believed that they were helping a homeless family get back on their feet. In the investigation, it showed the house in question was not the evangelist's place of residence, but a vacant investment property that he had up for sale. ABC News aired the story, and it showed that the evangelist was going to profit in three ways. He says he was going to collect money on the insurance. Then he was going to collect money on the sale of the property. And then he was collecting money from the people that were following him, who were sending him money, believing they were helping a homeless family get back on their feet. Lord, Lord, I did, didn't I build in your name? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Yes. I don't know you. You see, it's fatal attraction to fall in love with things that have the potential to destroy our relationship with God, our fellowship with others, and even the peace in our lives. In the book of Acts, there's a similar story. It talks about two characters, Ananias and Sophia. The two were building, they were helping to build the church. They agreed to sell their personal property and give the money to the church for the work of the Lord. Instead, they sold the property, lied about the amount they received. From that, they kept the money. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart And that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept your kept the money from you, kept some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before you sold it? And after you sold it, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you do such a thing? He says, Ananias, you haven't lied to me, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. Death came to him and his wife because they were not real and truthful in their building. They were building on deceit. Jesus talks quite a bit about building, about building on the right foundation. He tells us it's absolutely necessary to build our life on the right foundation because the foundation is what holds everything together. It holds everything up. No matter what quality of materials we use, no matter how careful we join the frame together, no matter how skilled the craftsman may be, if the foundation isn't solid and stable, the house will lack integrity. And over time, cracks will develop in the walls and the windows will stick and the roof will leak. And sooner or later, the storms of life will bring it crashing down and everything we work so hard for will be lost because the Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So how should we live? We should live, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. You see, if we desire to be righteous, We must submit to God and allow Him to order our steps. If we're gonna produce the fruit of peace, joy, righteousness, and self-control. And I want to say this morning that none of us have reached that, that plateau of perfection. None of us. But the Bible says that we press, that we press to a high calling in Christ Jesus. One thing that we can count on, that he who began a good work in us, he will complete it. He will finish it. If we allow God to work in our lives, we can become more like him. Amen? Will the praise team come, please? You see, we have a lot of scriptures in the Bible that we can rejoice about. And I'm going to give you a few of them. The Bible says that we have such scriptures that we can cast our care upon the Lord because he cares for us. That's a good word. That's a good word. It says, I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. That's a good word. That's a shouting word. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's a good word. Delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That's a good word. The Lord is my shepherd. And you were right. I understand that the Lord is our shepherd, but one day our shepherd will be our judge. And that's a hard message. See, we got to remember, we're just passing through in this life We're just passing through. We're not here to stay. And none of us want to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. This morning, I want to say, how many times have you seen people when the invitation of opportunity to come to know Jesus, the salvation message, is given? And you see people that need to have a relationship with Jesus, but they're refusing to come to him. Instead, they convince themselves that they're not ready. And they say things like, I can't come to Jesus right now because I got to make some changes. Or they say, I'll come to Jesus when I start living right. That's when I'll come to him. See, we got to understand something. The changes that we need to make can only be done through the Holy Spirit. We cannot transform ourselves. We can only make temporary adjustments. God is looking for messed up people. Jesus is attracted to messed up people. He has a track record of delivering people with messed up lives. I think about the prodigal son. I think about Rahab and David, the woman with the alabaster box, the woman with the well, at the well. And I think about my own life dead in sin, uncircumcised heart, stuck in the miry, muck, or clay of sin. But Jesus reached way down. Pick me up, pull me up out of the mark of sin and the mess. He put my feet on solid rock. That solid rock is Jesus. He changed my life. He touched my life. So you see, Jesus is looking for the unwanted. He's looking for the lost. He's looking for people that are broken. He's looking for people that are unwanted. He doesn't care about how jacked up your life is because he wants to make us whole. He specializes in healing and wholeness. You know, this morning, I contemplated bringing this word because it's a hard word. It's a hard word, and sometimes God gives us a hard word because he loves us, he cares about us. But just as God gives us a a hard word, he also provides an opportunity for us to change course that is to repent and Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 it says the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked instead it pleases him when they turn from sin and turn to him Jesus says I'll leave the 99 I'll leave the 99 to go look for you today it's the day of salvation. The scripture says, harden not your heart. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 1 John chapter verse eight, uh, 1, 9 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're, we, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So today, there will come a day that we will stand before our judge. And we want to hear him say, my, 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 you've done a good job. You've kept the faith. You've been faithful. You took care of the small things that I asked you to do. You belong to me. You're mine. I've been waiting on you. Come on home. Welcome home. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand please?